This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles to Psalm 91 this morning. Psalm 91, if you are watching on video, let me encourage you, have your Bible open as well and just be prepared to to follow along in God's Word. You'll get so much more uh, out of it if you're just following along in in the Scripture. We do expositional preaching here, which means we always want the text, the Scripture, to, to speak. That's where the power is and God's, God's spirit works through his word in our, in our lives. Let's look at Psalm 91. It is a beautiful psalm. It is a much, much loved psalm about God's protection. And the message here is fear not. Psalm 91, follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. The Bible says, The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say concerning the Lord, who is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He himself will rescue you from the bird trap, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, my refuge, the Most High, your dwelling place, no harm will come to you, no plague will come near your tent, for he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra, you will trample the young lion and the serpent. Because he has his heart set on me, I will deliver him." I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the salvation that believers have in you. And Father, I pray for anyone in this room or anyone who is watching, who has not yet entered into the salvation, the rescue, that is ours in Christ. We pray that your spirit would work to open hearts to respond to the good news of the gospel, that we will see that because of your love that a Savior has come who was crucified on our behalf for our sins in our place, who rose from the dead, defeating death, who has ascended to your right hand and reigns as Lord, and who will return And we pray that for anyone who has not yet turned from their sin and turned to Christ and trusted him as Lord and Savior, that you would work by the power of your spirit to open their hearts today, that they would experience the new life, the salvation, the rescue that is found in Christ and in in Christ alone. And we thank you for the incredible promises of protection 
that are ours in, in you. We thank you that, that if we are in Christ, that no ultimate harm can ever come to us and that our future is secure and that it is glorious in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now through your word, by your grace, and for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, maybe you've heard it said that the most frequent command in the Bible is fear not. And as it turns out, in this case, what you've heard happens to be true. And we see it hundreds of times in the Old Testament and the New to, 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 to fear not. And usually it's quickly followed by because God is with you. And, and the reason why God commands us so many times in the Bible to fear not is because he knew that this would be an issue that we would struggle mightily with in our lives. And listen, here's the deal. If you don't trust God, I mean, there are all kinds of things that we could, could fear, right? A lot of stuff that's be totally beyond our control. And 2020 has been a great example of that. You know, we don't control whether a, a, you know, a, a virus jumps from a bat to a human being in a market somewhere and, and, and creates a, a pandemic that will spread around the world. We don't control the economic fallout that comes from that pandemic. We don't control, as we've seen in our own community in recent days, we don't control whether a tornado is going to ravage through our neighborhood. We don't control whether a hurricane is going to, 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 to come up and hit us in the next couple of months. There are all kinds of things that are totally outside of our control that could just eat us alive with fear if we allowed them to. And then there are the issues that we deal with just in, just in normal times, right? <laughs> like, like the fear of, of other people. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. But how often have we allowed ourselves to get into that snare by fearing people rather than, than God? But whether it's, you know, fears that are kind of beyond our control or just kind of the everyday fears that we deal with on a normal basis, fear-driven lives are problematic and they are especially problematic if you claim to know God. Three things are incredibly problematic about a fear-driven life. First of all, the fear-driven life is faithless. You know, in, in every situation, where, that where we face uh, something where we're tempted to, to, to have an unhealthy fear, ultimately when you cut through everything else, no matter what the situation, what it comes down to is the question, am I going to trust God here or not? And so a fear-driven life is faithless. Second, a fear-driven life is self-centered. You know, when we walk with the Lord over a period of time, God has a way of exposing our idols, and sometimes that can be really painful. And I know for me, you know, it was really cool on, at our business meeting on Wednesday night to approve a young guy for, to go to seminary. And I think about when I was in seminary, 
and I was out preaching somewhere uh, every, every weekend and, and uh, you know, kind of traveling all over and preaching in different churches. And, and uh, everybody, you know, most people seemed to like my preaching and, and you know, and, and, and it, was, it was great to be able to do that. And I really kind of felt like that when I became a pastor, it was always going to be like that. Everybody, everybody just approving, everybody liking and, and, and all of that. <laughs> well, well when, I, when I became a pastor and I had the responsibility of leadership, I quickly found out a couple of things. Uh, first of all, that was not the case. I found myself as a pastor being confronted over and over and over again with the need to make decisions that no matter which way I turned or what I decided, there was going to be a certain group of people that were not going to be super pleased with the decision that was made. I quickly found that out. And the other thing that I quickly found out was how much I yearned for the approval of other people. And I found out what a stronghold and what an idol, an ugly idol that was in my, in my life. And, and, and that it was so self-centered. And, and, I, and I came to understand, you know, as a, as a pastor through almost three decades now, that I was going to have to decide, you know, are you going to love your congregation or are you going to fear your congregation? <laughs> and I had to come to, under, to the place where, you know, I would live for God's approval and try to love people and try to make decisions that would be honoring to the Lord and that would be good for the health of our church and that would indicate love for, love for other people. You know, and, and, and leave the approval up, <laughs> up to the Lord and, and live for his, his approval alone. Otherwise, if I was just going around being driven by fear and what everybody thought about this or this or that, I, I came to understand how self-centered that was and what an idol that was in my own life. I mean, the Spirit of God had to just expose that to me. And the Holy Spirit will do that. As you walk with the Lord, he has a way of exposing your idols. Um, and that can, be a, that can be a painful process. But listen, a fear-driven life really ultimately is a self-centered life. Third, a fear-driven life idolizes comfort. And especially as American believers, listen, comfort is the air that we breathe in our country for, for most of us. Um, and and we, can, we can almost feel like we're entitled. We're entitled to live kind of comfortable, uh, pain-free lives. And, and, and that is so at odds with, with what following Jesus is all about. You know, Jesus tells us in, in Luke chapter 9, Luke 9, and, and, um, and in verses 23 and 24, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. At the heart of our faith as believers is a Savior who took up a cross, literally took up a cross, and selflessly, sacrificially suffered and bled and died for us. But listen, Christianity is not just a matter of intellectually believing that to be true. 
Christianity is about following Jesus, and Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, you've got to take up your own cross. Daily, every day, denying yourself, denying your own comforts, your own desires, kind of what you want. And and it means denying yourself and following me and taking up your own cross, whatever that means. If it means death, it means doing that. But it means living lives of self-sacrifice on behalf of, of others and giving up kind of, you know, your, your own comforts for the sake of other people and the glory of God. But a, but a, but a, a fear-driven life idolizes comfort. So what do we see here as we come to Psalm 91, which is such an, an antidote to, to unhealthy fear? What do we see here in this psalm? First of all, we see here a statement of protection, a statement of protection, and we, we see that in verse one. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. And then this is amplified in verse four when the psalmist says, he will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. So here, the image is of a, uh, you know, a, a, a mother bird just kind of um, holding her little ones kind of beneath, beneath the shelter and the shadow of her wings. And it says we as believers can, can experience that in God, that we will, we will dwell under that protective covering. But we know that Bad things happen to God's people, right? We know that sometimes harm comes to God's people. How do we deal with that in light of these promises that we see in Psalm 91? On January the 8th, 1956, five missionaries waited on a a beach in the jungle of Ecuador for an unreached tribe to make contact with them. They were there to reach these this tribe for Christ. And so that day was a, a Sunday, as it turns out. Uh, the five men worshiped together. They actually sang a hymn about God's protection. They ate lunch and they waited. They waited for, for the tribe to come, and the tribe did come. They came and they murdered all five of those missionaries. So, does that mean that? Psalm, the promises of Psalm 91 were not true? Did God just doze off for a few minutes while that happened? Was God powerless to stop what happened? No, no, and no. And that's why one of the widows of one of these five men, Elizabeth Elliot, when she wrote about the story of her husband, Jim Elliott, and she wrote about the story of everything that happened, you know what she entitled her book? She named it after Psalm 91.1, Shadow of the Almighty. Because Elizabeth Elliott understood that the martyrdom of her husband and those other missionaries made, did not make Psalm 91 any less true, because listen, As believers, no 
ultimate harm can come to us. Those five missionaries were ushered immediately into the presence of the Lord. Now, sometimes God does allow temporary harm to come because he's doing something higher and something larger than what we can see at the time. In the case of those men, God actually used the martyrdom of those five missionaries to reach that tribe for Christ. The very killers of those missionaries came to Christ in part because they saw how those men had died. Those missionaries had weapons which they refused to pick up. They had a gun which they they refused to fire. They saw how they died and they they were struck by that. And, and, and they, the very killers ended up coming to Christ and in some cases becoming pa- pastors themselves. And God used the martyrdom of those missionaries to inspire a whole generation to live boldly and to give their lives for, for missions. And so God, God was doing all kinds of things on that day that could not be seen on that day. <clears throat> Just as on the cross God was doing things that day as Christ hung on the cross that, that could not possibly be seen on that day. God was, 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 was securing the, the redemption of his people through that. But we need to understand as believers that when we talk about harm, ultimate harm is, is death. The worst thing that anyone could possibly do to you would would be to kill you, to take your life. But we know that Philippians 1.21 says that for us, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so your forever destiny as a believer is locked in, it is secure, it is glorious. And what that does is it, 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 it frees us now to live this one brief life that we have boldly and courageously for the glory of God. We see a statement of protection here. Second, we see a statement of faith in Psalm 91. Let's look together at verse two. He says, I will say concerning the Lord who is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now here is another powerful image of God's protection. We saw in verse one that, that image of, and verse four, the, the image of kind of taking shelter beneath his wings. Here we see in verse two, the image of God as a fortress, that he is a refuge, he is an impenetrable refuge, he is an impregnable fortress. It's these words that inspired Martin Luther to write a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Look at verses five and six. You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Now in verse five, he's making references to, uh, to, 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 to battle, to war, um, talking about the, the, the image of, of the arrow here flying by day. But then in verse six, we see a silent killer, plague. The plague that stalks in darkness, the the pestilence that ravages at noon. You know, plagues are are nothing new. When you read the Old Testament, uh, you see situations where whole armies, 
whole populations, you know, are wiped out by some sickness, a, a plague of some sort. In, in New Testament times, in the first few centuries of the Christian church, there were several uh, plagues that, uh, that made their way th through the Greco-Roman world where the early Christians lived. And in fact, one of the reasons why Christianity grew so rapidly was because of the, the, the conduct of Christians during these times of plague. Because everybody else just sort of, sort of left the sick you know, to die. I mean, they were just thinking about themselves. They just wanted to get as far away as they could. It was the Christians who stayed and, and, and at the risk of their own lives who nursed and cared for the, for the, the, the sick and, and, and the dying. And that witness was so powerful that it attracted many, many people to, to follow Jesus. And, 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 and throughout the centuries, things like this have, have happened. Early in the 20th century, the Spanish flu, and then at the end of the 20th century, uh, AIDS, which kind of bridged between the 20th and the 21st centuries, and then, uh, you know, Ebola and SARS and swine flu. But we thought that was all stuff that happened to somebody else until a, a virus about a hundred times, hundred million times smaller than the head of a pen brought us to our knees. Now, COVID-19 has been a field day for false teachers and charlatans. Uh, from Kenneth Copeland, the, the health and wealth, the prosperity preacher who claimed to, you know, blow, blow, blow on COVID-19, blow it away like he was blowing out candles on a birthday cake to sort of the name it, claim it crowd who just says, you know, hey, if you just memorize these verses, memorize Psalm 91 and just repeat that like some sort of a mantra that, you know, you, you'll be protected. Nothing will, nothing will be able to touch you. The reality is so much greater <laughs> and so much more powerful and so much more beautiful. The, the truth of the matter is that if you were in Christ, as Colossians 3.3 says, that you're, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And what that means is that no ultimate harm, the ultimate harm is, is death right? But for us, that means life, right? That means ultimate life, which means that we don't have to, to you know, fear in this life. Now, does that mean that, you know, we shouldn't take uh, precautions? Of, of course it doesn't mean that. We should take every precaution that we possibly can, um, but it's about other people, right? It's not because we fear death, right? We should be concerned about the needs of other people. Um, that means our brothers and sisters in Christ, in our church family, 
It means that we, you know, there are people in our own church that would be in vulnerable categories for uh, where if they got COVID, it could be something really, really bad. It means that we care about them. It means that we're willing to be inconvenienced for their sake and put aside some comforts for the sake of other people. But even beyond that, it means that we care about people that are outside the faith. As believers, we're, we're ready to die whenever God calls us, but most people around us, if they died, they would go to hell. They're not ready to die. And so Christians, should, be, should set the example in every way that we possibly can to, to, to love other people, to put the needs of other people first, and to be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of others because we care about them. And the world is watching us. And one of the ways that we can shine for Christ during this time is by putting the needs of others above ourselves, as our Savior has done for us. It's at the heart of the gospel. And so we see here a statement of faith. Third, we see a statement of deliverance, don't we? Verses 11 and 12. For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now talk about misusing scripture. <laughs> Who quotes these verses? The devil, right? And the temptation of Christ, what do we see in Matthew chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6? Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you. And they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So the devil comes to Jesus here and kind of just like the false teachers of the day saying, hey, you know, just kind of, you know, you just, you just kind of repeat this scripture and you know what, you could just, you, you'll just, you'll just be, be protected. The, the devil does that with, with Jesus here. He says, just, hey, just go to the pinnacle of the temple, the highest point of the temple, hurl yourself down. Didn't God promise to protect you after all? And how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds to that abuse of scripture by quoting another scripture, Deuteronomy 6.16, and we see it in Matthew 4.7. Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Let me tell you something. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. He, is, he will not be mocked by those who try to use him or use his word to promote their own agenda. But he knows his own, and he loves his own. Look at verses 14 and 15. Because he has his heart set on me, God says, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. If you've walked with the Lord over a long period of time, listen, you could look back, every one of us could look back over the course of our lives and bear testimony about how we have experienced God's deliverance and God's protection in all kinds of circumstances in our lives. But you know what, if we could go back and we could give each of us a hundred stories of God's protection over us throughout the course of our lives, there are a thousand stories that we don't even know about 
of times when God was surrounding us and protecting us when we didn't even realize that we were in danger. He's been so faithful. And he's got our future in his hands. When you see this command, fear not, as I said earlier, it's almost always followed up immediately by the words, for I'm with you. Why should you not fear? Because I am with you. I was thinking about um, growing up and just thinking about my dad, and I was just blessed with a really godly father and, and a very, just, he was a very strong man in, in all kinds of physically and in other ways, and he, he just epitomized security and safety to me. But I think about situations in, in, in my, my, own, my own life where, you know, one day we were, we were walking through, it was a Thanksgiving, I was really small. We, were walk, we had taken a walk through the woods and I, I saw a tree house up in the tree and of course, you know, little rambunctious boy, I scampered up the tree like a squirrel and got into that tree house and uh, just kind of poking around there and everything. Well, then it was time to come down. <laughs> and coming down didn't look as easy as it had been to, to climb up. And, and my dad kind of sensed a little bit of anxiety and I, I was insecure about trying to, trying to climb, climb down. I didn't know how I was gonna do that. And he just kind of held up his arms and he said, just jump, I'll catch you. And without a moment's hesitation, I just, pew, just sailed right out of there into his waiting arms because it was him. I trusted my dad. I trusted in his strength. I trusted in his promise. I think about learning how to swim in, in the ocean. I'd, I'd swam in a pool before, but kind of a controlled environment, you know. But this is the ocean where, you know, it's not as controlled. I mean, where, you know, all kinds of, there are all kinds of things that are, that are kind, of, kind of out there. But, you know, there was just zero fear for me to do that. Why? Because I learned how to do it at my dad's side. It was in every situation, it was the promise and the proximity of my father that made the difference. And that's what the scripture is saying for us. It's, God, it's the father's promise to you as his child. It's his proximity to you as his child. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. And the reason that that's true is because your salvation, your redemption, your relationship with him has been secured by a savior who left everything and the comforts and the glory of heaven to come and to rescue you, dying on a cross for your sins, rising from the dead, defeating the ultimate enemy of death and securing your future so that we can now in the present, in this one life that we have, which is like a vapor, we can live boldly and courageously for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the life that we have in Christ. And Father, we pray for anyone who is here in this room, anyone who's watching by video who doesn't yet know the Savior. Father, how we pray 
that they would see your great love for them, the love that gave your son to die on the cross for sinners like all of us, the, the power that, that raised him from the dead and, and, and that they would see that Christ reigns now as Savior and Lord at your right hand as King and that he is coming again, he is returning and that all things will be made new. We, we pray that on that day that we would be ready and that we would know him as Savior and not as judge. And so Lord, we, we pray that you would work in the hearts of anyone today who doesn't yet know you as Savior, that they would repent of their sins and turn to you and trust, trust in Christ alone, trust in the fact that he did die for their sins, that he rose from the dead, that he reigns as king, that he's coming again, that their lives would be bound up in Christ. We pray that you would help us as your people to, to live lives of, of selfless love for others, that our lives would be centered on you, love for you, love for other people, and that as we go forth into a, a, a world that desperately needs you this week, that we would go forth in the power of your spirit and that our lives would be energized by your spirit as we joyfully trust you and obey you and as we love other people with the love that is with which we have been loved by you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.